had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io/ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. On a nondescript summer morning nearly five decades ago, Detective Peter Hiscock was one of the first to be confronted by an especially distressing crime scene. It was Thursday, January 13, 1977, and the bodies of two young women lay on the floor of their small workers' cottage in Easy Street, Collingwood. They'd been dead for two days and three long nights. It would be absolutely fair to say that I'm 75 now. Hardly a day goes by, I would say, that I don't think about this particular murder. 30-year-old Peter Hiscock was one of the first detectives to enter the house in Easy Street, and he's never forgotten it. If I drive up Hoddle Street, it doesn't matter where I'm going north or south, I always look over to Easy Street. I know it's changed, but it's just something that happens to me. I just look up and down there. Now, I've done an extraordinary amount of investigation since that time, but there's always something that stays in your mind. And those two murders stuck in my mind. The murders of 27-year-old Susan Bartlett and 28-year-old Suzanne Armstrong in their own home, shook the staid city of Melbourne to its heart. Senior police warned all women living in the city to take care, as a sex maniac was on the prowl, even going as far to advise them to lock their doors and windows. It's always concerned me the number of women who do live alone or, secondly, stay alone in their homes and seem to take no precautions at all. What do you mean exactly? They leave doors open, they leave windows open, they leave lights on. In other words, they advertise the fact that they are home alone, leave blinds open while they're watching telly and this sort of thing. But are you suggesting that those women should lock themselves away? I don't suggest they should put themselves in the form of being imprisoned, but I think there are certain reasonable security measures that people can take to ensure their safety. Their language was almost visceral 
The details released about the attack unpleasantly blunt. And from the outset, the deaths of the two Sues, as the friends were affectionately known, has haunted investigators and community, and not just because of the terrible violence involved. It's also been dogged by almost implausible circumstance. Aside from Susan Bartlett and Suzanne Armstrong's killer, three other men had gone in and out of their little house as they lay dead, apparently unnoticed, just metres away. With Suzanne's young son Gregory lonely, dehydrated and hungry in his cot. All three men claim not to have seen or heard anything suspicious during these nocturnal visits. The first to enter the house was a friend of Susan's. Incredibly, the night after she was killed, he walked up the side lane of the property and climbed in her bedroom window, moving into the hall, agonisingly close to her body, to get to the phone in the lounge room. He told police later that he'd been calling Susan and wanted to check that he had the right phone number after getting no answer. Reassured that he had the correct number, after checking the old-fashioned wall phone in the lounge, he then retraced his steps, climbing back out her window and into the laneway. A friend was waiting for him there, in the lane, so could verify this. As hard as it is to believe, 24 hours later, two brothers entered the house through the back door to see if Suzanne was home. The oldest of the pair had taken her out the previous weekend and, as arranged, tried to ring to confirm their next date. Unable to reach her, the shearer from country Victoria decided to pay her a visit at home. But he and his brother told detectives that after calling out to see if Suzanne and her toddler were home, they'd gone no further than the lounge that night to check if anyone was there. Instead, the new suitor left a note on the kitchen table asking Suzanne to call him. I went around there that night and just knocked at the front door and there was a note on the door and there was still no answer, so I went down the side and the gate was halfway open and the door was halfway open and there was a light on. And my brother, I got a note and for her to ring me. And, and then, you know, if I had walked in a little bit further, well, I would have spotted them, you know, another couple of yards. Did it ever occur to you to look in the rest of the house? No, not really, no. I don't like going in people's houses, you know, while there's no one there. So it's a damn shock to me, you know. All I do is got the shakes and smoke. Can't even eat. 47 years later, it beggars belief that three people did not see, hear or sense anything amiss when inside a house beset by such trauma. Then again, what kind of person could encounter a scene like that and not raise the alarm? Police believe the three men had nothing to do with the murders. They were quickly cleared as suspects by detectives, the first visitor even allowed to leave the country before the coroner's inquest was held. And not much was made of their presence at all. But there's no denying that their failure to notice anything wrong meant that two young women slain had to wait almost two and a half days to be found. In the summer heat, in the heart of a busy city. Disconcerting too was the fact a man already linked to the disappearance of a 19-year-old woman in the city just 18 months earlier and only a couple of suburbs away had been staying next door on the night of the Easy Street murders. For detectives, it was a coincidence too ugly to ignore. 
What were the odds of anyone being so close to two such cases? Improbably, this man was also a crime reporter with Melbourne's Truth newspaper. Such strange twists of fact in a high-profile homicide investigation are almost too bizarre to be true. But they are. When Alona Stevens and her housemate Janet Powell caught their neighbour's young dog running loose in the street, they'd no idea of the saga about to engulf them, a saga still without end nearly 50 years later. Like the two Sues, they were bright, busy young women, Alona working at the Truth newspaper, Janet co-managing Casanova, an Italian restaurant in Carlton. The four women had only lived side by side for a few months and so hadn't had time to really get to know each other. Look, just as neighbours, nodding, hello, how are you, how's baby, oh, nice, nice puppy, but not, not that well, just to talk to. Because don't forget, Janet and I both worked shift work and they worked regular jobs. So because our hours were so different, we really didn't ever become friendly, although we were the, roughly the same age. OK, well, let's go back to that week of January 1977. When did you first notice that something might be wrong, something might be amiss? Well probably when I got home from work because the dog was out. And that was very, well, it was just strange because we live that's near, very near Hoddle Street and it was only a puppy. So you just don't let your dog out, um, even though in those days, of course, people were more careless. But um, it just was unusual because they weren't careless people. That was Tuesday. So I would have got home from work, the puppy was out, went straight round, knock, 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 no answer. Well, I just thought they were out. So I took the puppy back into our house and just kept it and thought, oh, we'll deal with it. We'll hear them come home and I'll whip next door then. But, uh, of course, heard nothing. Later that Tuesday evening, Alona and Janet tried another tack. They left a note on the front door of 147. It read, Dear Suze, we have your dog, which was wandering around the street. You're obviously not home. So give us a yell and we'll return same to you promptly. Regards, Alona and Janet. Alona left for work the next morning and didn't notice the note was still there, exactly where they'd left it. But when she got back home later that Wednesday evening, she saw the note was still pinned to the door and the young dog was still in their backyard. More worryingly, as she got ready for bed, she could hear little Greg crying, albeit softly, from beyond the party wall the two cottages shared. Probably by Wednesday night, we were... Well, Janet, not so much because she was real busy. You know, the two of them were trying to run a restaurant and she would just come home exhausted, fall into bed, get up the next day, go back to the restaurant. But, it, yeah, it just was odd. The note was still on the door. We still had the dog. And periodically, I thought I could hear Greg crying. Just little whimperings, not, nothing major. And, but, you know, you put that sort of stuff out of your mind. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? 
why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. By Thursday morning... Both Alona and her housemate Janet sensed something really wasn't right. Alona recalls being a bit cross that her neighbours still hadn't collected their dog, but she was becoming increasingly uneasy about Greg's welfare. So before going to work, the pair decided to try their neighbour's front door again. They knocked loudly, banging harder the next time, then harder again. Still no answer. Nothing. So I decided I'd hop the fence and opened the gate and put the dog in their yard. The gate was onto the laneway in, in their garden. We didn't have a gate in our garden. So that's when I hopped the fence, first thing Thursday morning. When Alona walked through the back door and into the kitchen, she sang out to the girls to see if they were home. She quickly passed through the small lounge room and into the hallway that ran along three rooms and up to the front door. As her eyes adjusted to the dim light, she saw Susan face down on her stomach in the hall, heartbreakingly close to that front door. And then moving forward, Suzanne, on her back on the floor of the first bedroom. It was a tableau of unfathomable tragedy. Alona could see the women had been brutally killed. What she couldn't know at the time was that they had been stabbed collectively more than 80 times and Suzanne raped after death. The back door was open, well, not wide open, but certainly unlocked and ajar. So I walked in saying, hoo-hoo, anyone home? And got no reply. But as soon as I looked up the hallway, it was completely obvious why there was no reply. And what did you see? I actually saw Susan's feet and um, they didn't look real flash. They were, you know, sort of black. And you just look and you know, you go, oh, this is bad. Because the hallway had no windows, you know, the windows were all in the rooms, so it's quite dark. But I do remember clearly seeing her feet and they weren't moving. What confronted her as she walked through the house remains daunting, especially that long trek up the hallway to where Susan lay, to see if there was anything she could do to help her. Well, I was still in the middle of going, (laughs) yoo-hoo! So I walked down and as I got closer to her, it was very obvious that she was dead. And 
I kind of knelt over just to make sure. I didn't touch her. She was right. Her head was right at the front door. And that's when I looked sideways into the front bedroom and saw Suzanne. It was obvious that um, Susan had been almost brutalised. There was sort of hand marks on the wall and... um, But um, Suzanne was lying on her back and fairly scantily clad and it was quite obvious she was dead too. And so then I turned and walked out and yelled out to Janet to call the police. In her haste to check on Susan and Suzanne, Alona hadn't even glanced at 16-month-old Greg Armstrong, who was in his cot in the middle bedroom. But as she headed to the back door, she checked on the little boy. Well, I actually walked in there and had a look at him. He, he was, I, I guess he was probably dehydrated, but he seemed fine. So I just kept going and, and yelling out for Janet to quickly call the police. Do you remember how she responded to you? I mean, it must have been a shock for her even hearing that. Yeah, I, I, I recall she just sort of went, why? And I said, the girls are dead. And she just ran inside because in those days we had, you know, the black dialer phone. Um, so she dialed the police and I just waited outside. At the front? No, out the side. And Alona Stevens had to wait for a while. She's pretty sure it took two telephone calls to get the local police to take seriously what a housemate was reporting. Two women were dead in the house next door. But even then, only a young, uniformed officer was dispatched to see what was going on. One uniformed officer. Things sort of move slowly in your mind. But I do remember thinking, uh, this is urgent. And then, of course, one car rolled up with someone who is probably my age saying, you know, what's going on here? And I said, I think my neighbours have been killed. The pattern of not hearing women trying to share information with police that shattered this and other cold cases in Victoria started even before the official investigation. I remember there was no urgency from anybody. They certainly were not believing us and hence they sent the young man in one car. I was waiting in the lane so he came up to me and I said, look, you need to go inside, they're dead. He did walk inside and within, (laughs) it seemed like five seconds, there were police and cars and uniform and non-uniform and we were surrounded by activity. Finally, Victoria's homicide squad was at the scene. Going there on that day, myself, Graham MacDonald, got a call that there was a double death in a house in Collingwood. It's a lower socioeconomic area in those times. So you never assume anything, but it was quite possible there was a, a murder-suicide or just a double suicide. Who, who would know? We had no idea. Because the uniformed police had been there and they were not to go in. So when we arrived, there was a young policeman just inside the door. He'd been guarding it and it was just a scene that you'd never, ever forget in your life. Former Detective Peter Hiscock remains struck by the horrific nature of the attacks on both women. Suzanne Armstrong first in her bedroom and then Susan Bartlett in the hall. Still to this day, now we're talking about it now, I can see it just like a video in my mind. And of course then we went around the back and being the scene. Now scenes are protected a whole lot better now than they were. They were protected then, but they're 
they've changed a lot now and uh, what you see on TV is probably what happens now. But not in those days. You're just going to see what's happened for a start to quickly try and assess it. But it didn't take myself and Graham McDonald very long to work out uh, this was one terrible, terrible murder, two murders that occurred. And what did the scene initially, Peter, tell you about how the girls had died, what the killer had done? killer had used a knife, would have to have been a big knife because of the defensive wounds in Susan Bartlett's arms. Susan Armstrong had massive, massive, multiple, multiple stab wounds. And it looked like there was no forced entry. So already it was starting to unfold. This was something quite unique. No forced entry, two girls brutally murdered. Now, in those days, you wouldn't see too many, and I don't recall in those days, too many brutal murders like these two. I mean, with time, the internet, we'd see lots and lots of these things. But back in those days, back in 1977, in Victoria, in Collingwood, that was one massive double murder. The fact that they found young Greg in his cot having survived such an ordeal still amazes this veteran investigator. Well, we were both young parents, Graham and I, and of course that was very disturbing. He was uh, had been there and um, if I recall, the temperatures were in excess of 100 degrees now in Celsius. What are we talking? This is up over 40 degrees. So he was in there totally totally exhausted, totally dehydrated, you know, been the same nappy. And it was, was quite surprising to me that he was still alive. So, I mean, at that age, he obviously couldn't witness anything, but whether the killer missed him or whatever, I don't know, or killers, we would never know. I still to this day think it was only one person. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot with the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. 
Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Peter Hiscock says the scene he and his colleagues encountered that morning was dire. Nevertheless, it revealed a lot about the murderer and quite quickly. Well, it appeared robbery was not a motive. The bathroom, we now, we learned straight away that the uh, killer had stood in the bath and washed himself down with blood because he would have been covered in blood. It would have been very, very brutal. So whether he's done this to wash himself off forensics or whether he's just done it as an instinctive, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to know. There wasn't a lot of blood in there, but it was, yeah, we could tell from going back there that that's what happened, yes. It was very unusual. I mean, there was no DNA in those days. I mean, you know, blood types was something, I mean, pretty general, you know. A lot of people have got A or B or whatever. So that was there. That was obviously a call for the forensics, but something that we did was took the plumbing apart and at the elbow there was pieces of bone. Now, these were pieces of defensive wounds that Susan Bartlett had put up. What, you took the bath apart or you were yeah. under the under the house? Yeah, I, I, I personally wasn't there when that happened, but it, it was, yes, it was pulled apart. Uh, I actually had to escort the two deceased to the mortuary and I had to be present whilst the post-mortems were undertaken and thereby we were given samples of their blood, hair, nails and for continuity, they then have to be conveyed back to the forensic science by one person to other than break con- continuity. So that was my job. So I was present. And that's why I'm certain that I know who was murdered first. And and talking about at the morgue, Peter, I mean, how traumatic was that for you as a young detective? You were only 30. From what you've said to me over the years, you were actually helping him take account of the number of times both women had been stabbed. Yeah, you would stand, it's close to this table. You would stand there with a clipboard noting on a diagram of a female body where stab wounds were. It is traumatic, but we were taught and re- always emphasised by the pathologist that the exhibits that can help us, for instance, is the person right-handed? Is he left-handed? Were they uppercuts, lower cuts? Has he changed hands to do other wounds because there was an extraordinary amount of stab wounds? And also, was one killed earlier and then someone came back and killed the other one? Those, I mean, it's quite basic stuff that unfolds very quickly. But you have to be there to know these things. And it's not pathologist's job to work out these things, but they're very helpful. And these are things that when you interview someone, only you will know. If someone's telling lies, you can also tell if someone's just making it up or wanting to be um, famous. And that's happened. That's, that's happened many times. So what did his time with pathologist James McNamara tell him about the Easy Street Killer? Was he left or right-handed? I'm thinking it was a right-handed person, but that was just, he would have been a powerful unit. 
he would have been powerful because of the amount of stab wounds, making sure that he'd killed them. And Susan Bartlett had put up a massive fight in the, in the hallway. So she's heard the noise and come down. And that's why it makes sense. Someone's come in the front door. Susan Armstrong was reading a book. She had the light on. She put the book down with the pages open and just throwing the sheets back and hopped out to see who it was. And then she was struck right between leaving her bed, very small house, of course, and before getting into the passageway. But she was moved further, we believe, after she was dead. But then Susan Bartlett has come out of her room down to see what's going on. And that's when its second murders occurred, but it would have been a lot harder. Susan Armstrong wouldn't have known what was going to happen to her. She would have just met this person. And that's why we always thought, or me personally thought, must have been someone they knew. Peter Hiscock is still galled by the time he and his partner wasted early on in a case that was already getting cold. As they tried to link the footprint on Susan's bed cover, that was left by the first male visitor to the house after the women were killed. And then there was the newspaper dated that very day, January 13, 1977. This paper was puzzling. We thought, Graham and I thought straight away that this offender's come back. He's come back to see his work or whatever. We just were puzzled. We spoke to the young policeman there. No, nothing. So we actually took them back to the Collingwood Police Station for a briefing. And one of the young fellows, we said, to look, no one's in any trouble if they went into the house. No one's in any trouble. What it turned out, one of the young fellows, thinking I've got to sit here for a while and guard this scene, he's taken the newspaper in. When we've arrived, he's just put it down simply and stepped outside as if to say, well, I was here, I didn't go inside. He admitted that he'd been in. Well, of course, that can change an investigation very quickly. As I said, the first 24 hours, because we're thinking, wow, this guy's not far away. It was quite quite exciting. So he admitted that, so things changed back to the problem we had was that it was like three hours and we had to wait for post-mortems. So the investigation then was ramped right up. Uh, Of course, the press were all over this. This was probably one of the most horrific crimes around that time and the press got hold of this, but it was a difficult investigation. In the meantime, we had other serious murders, uh, one out in the jail, some bikies, two bikies killed. These are all going on up in the country. So looking back now to something that happened like that now, with the resources you would have, you'd be able to put a lot more into it. But that being said... We covered every every track, and I believe I go back in my mind a lot because I read things and you criticise. I'd like to think that I was thorough. I would have loved, and all of us would have loved to have solved it. I, I would hope, as of getting on in my years, that we would be able to solve it. And I would be absolutely devastated if there was something that we'd missed. Looking back, he shouldn't be too hard on himself. Then a young detective, Peter Hiscock was rostered off on annual leave days after walking into the little house in Easy Street and never reassigned to the case. But something was missed in those summer days of January 1977. 
And nearly five decades later, Susan and Suzanne's deaths remain distant, yet impossibly close for family, friends and at least one detective. Look, this guy has done something so bad, so bad, that, you know, humanity just would never even forgive him, no matter who the relative was. What he did to those two girls could never, ever, ever be forgiven by anyone. Next time on The Easy Street Murders. 45 years ago, a single mother was regarded very poorly. My girlfriend rang me at work and said, there's been a murder in Collingwood. She didn't turn up. So we rang, she didn't answer. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information what's up y'all janice torres here and i'm austin hankwitz we're the hosts of mind the business small business success stories a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's ruby studios and intuit quickbooks join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success from finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.